Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 59. Today in the show, we're joined by Eric Long of Drumming Log Wildlife Management, and we're diving into the topic of summer habitat projects and much, much more. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Sick Gear. Now today, on the- <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That's I needed right. that. Let's try that again. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Sick Gear. Now today on the show, we're talking habitat, and we're joined by an expert on that very topic, Eric Long. Eric is the owner of Drumming Log Wildlife Management, which is a wildlife consulting business, and he was also named the Quality Deer Management Association 2009 Professional Deer Manager of the Year. So, obviously, he's going to be a tremendous resource for us. That said, today, me and Dan are going to grill him on everything that we all need to know about habitat improvement projects for deer that we can take on this summer, and probably a lot more. But before we get to Eric, Dan, what's new? Not too much. Speaking of projects, I am busy with projects yeah. at work and at home. I don't think I want to hear about the work projects, but anything exciting at home? Last night, I made uh, basically called an Ava's Chores board, where it's just a bunch of things that if she does right or does good, she gets a sticker. <laughs> So you're talking about your daughter. I thought maybe you were talking about Eva Shockey for a second. Oh, no, no. My daughter, Ava. So, uh, yeah, a list of things she's going to have to do for me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I hate to say this is going to be funny, but uh, the list includes pick up your toys, poop in potty, pee in potty, eat all your food. So, no, we're talking about my daughter. <laughs> oh. Man, that's a pretty solid list of chores. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's just a couple that are right off the top. You know, like listen, help daddy, help mommy, all that stuff. So yeah. hopefully we can bribe her with stickers and let her know that, hey, if you're good, you may get rewarded for it. Yeah. So, Dude, the uh, the beginning of your list there is not too different from the list my wife makes for me. So that's <laughs> <laughs> not too bad. Yeah, except yours probably has don't be ass. Don't be ass. <laughs> yeah, that's number one, number two, and number three. Exactly. So. Oh, geez. So uh, you got the chore list done for the little one. When's Mac going to have to start doing chores? Oh, probably next week sometime. <laughs> Put the kid to work. That's the best thing about him, right? Yeah. his. Uh, we went to the doctor and measured his head, and it is in like the 80th percentile. So out of out of all a hundred kids born on that date throughout the United States, he his he has his head is twenty percent larger, or well, he's in the eightieth percentile yeah. of head size. It's a big head. So it's a big head. Yeah, he's got a big head. You got a pretty big noggin, don't you think? Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't measured it. I mean, I wear average hats. I mean, it, it's I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. I've got a kind of a weird head. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's weird or it's I've got certain hats that maybe I don't know. I've got a short top of my head maybe. Like the space from the top of my ears to the top of the dome of my head I think is too short maybe because I get lots of hats that the the crown of the hat is seems like just way too high and it makes me look ridiculous. So like maybe like Four out of every ten hats I try ends up being ridiculous. So I, I buy these things online. I get it. I put it on my head. I'm like, nope. Turn around. Put it back in the mail. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> um, we've reached a new low, Mark. <laughs> People are going, oh, God, fast forward to yeah, the gas. True. These guys are idiots. <laughs> I think that's probably what everyone does. I think we could probably talk about anything within the first five minutes of the show and, and no one would know it cause they always just fast forward. So they're, they're getting situated. They're grabbing all their stuff. It's like, it's like the previews, I guess at a movie theater. Exactly. Although I like the previews. I do too. I do too. You're uh, a nerd, right? I'm a super nerd. Uh, that star Wars movie's coming out. So you're going to enjoy that. Oh, I'm going to go to the midnight showing. <laughs> I'm oh. not, I'm not kidding either. <laughs> Congratulations. You know what? The star Wars, they need a, like a planet full of booner bucks. Wouldn't that just make sense? That would. Uh, if I was a real Star Wars nerd, I would know the name names of some of the creatures they already have, but I don't. But yeah, yeah. that'd be pretty legit. Um, real quick, before yeah. we get Eric on the phone, I haven't done this for a while on a recent podcast. For some reason, I don't know why not. But I finally have a delicious, icy cold beverage. Oh yeah, for buddy. our podcast today. And I think that's really going to help me get into the flow. What is it? What kind is it? It is a Howling Wolf from the Grand Teton Brewing Company out here, a uh, local brewery out here out west. And it's not too bad. Nice. So I'm sipping on that. And um, I'm excited to talk today. I'm excited to talk about Habitat. Talk, excited to talk to Eric because uh, he's a guy that um, I've been seeing online putting some great stuff out there and, and really being a tremendous resource for a lot of people. And I think he's going to be able to help you and me and, and all of our listeners really get some new ideas and some better ideas for how to improve our habitat, 
on the properties we hunt or manage. And even for those of us that don't own property or can't manage habitat, I think we'll get some great tips just in regards to hunting too. Um, right. He's he's just got a wealth of information from everything I can tell. So I'm excited that, to talk deer. I know that I talked to my landowner on one of my properties and I asked them about making some deer habitat basically. Yeah. And although they were, they, they, I think it was they didn't want me to do it. But the guy says to me, now don't get carried away. He goes, <laughs> yeah, just don't get carried away. So I don't, I'm really not sure what that means. So I'm thinking maybe if I go into a place of the property that really isn't, I don't know, doesn't hold a lot of deer, nobody may ever go there and maybe just do one or two, three hinge cuts and just see what happens. Yeah. I think as long as it's something that's like not bothering the landowner, right, right, it probably is something you can do. So that's exciting. So that's a small project, and I'm going to ask him about that today and see uh, see if he's got any uh, tips or tricks or something that might benefit that. Cool. I think that's uh, that's good news. I'm excited to hear you'll get to try some of these things out in your place. Right. I'm excited. Uh, I'm already, you know, I'm stoked to be out here doing some different things, but I'm already like dreaming of whitetails. Just uh, last night I was watching a, a DVD about some big bucks and I'm mm-hmm. looking at pictures and I'm dying to check my trail cameras down in Ohio. I just have so long to wait. That's what I'm doing on Saturday. Actually, I'm going down and having my first card pull of the year. Nice. You yep. want to do me, you want to do me a favor? Drive to Ohio. Yeah. Well, you want to go to Ohio and check my cameras? Okay, let me talk my wife into that. Yeah, that'll be easy, right? Hey, honey. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go over too well. Yeah. Well, a couple, couple more, six, seven weeks, I guess, and I'll get yep. to see. So, Hey, the good thing about it is you're not going in there with any pressure. And based on what you said, there's nobody else really out there. So that it's just less pressure on the property, which is a good thing if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, that's true. There's there should be very little pressure, and uh, there should be a lot of mature bucks hitting those mineral sites. I gotta believe that uh, I'm gonna have very high hopes when I check those cameras in August. So, I think uh, we have got to stop stop uh, rambling BSing. on though, BSing because we gotta get Eric on the phone here. So, gotcha. How about we uh, we shut up and get the smart guy on? Hey. I'm already on, man. <laughs> Just kidding. The other smart guy. <laughs> All right, let's let's call Eric. All right, with us now on the line is Eric Long. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, welcome to being here. Yeah, we're. Uh, I always say this, but I always you know I'm excited to have you on the line. And excited to chat because um, you know every week me and Dan love talking whitetails, but when it's just me and Dan talking whitetails, usually we end up talking ourselves in circles and confusing ourselves. So it's always great to have someone who really knows what they're doing joining us. Um, so we're, we're definitely stoked that you can, you can be here and that you can share some of your expertise. And, you know, in the introduction to the show, I, I mentioned briefly a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, but, but really I'd like to hear from you for those who aren't familiar with what you do and who you are. Could you give us mm-hmm. a, a brief introduction to, to what you do in the whitetail world today? Yeah, sure can. Well, um, I have a small business called Drummond Law of Wildlife Management, and uh, we've been managing whitetail deer uh, professionally for about uh, since 2001. And um, what we do is we go out all across the country and manage people's properties 
for, you know, uh, for the obvious white-tailed deer. You know, and that includes, you know, uh, habitat recommendations, food plots. You know, we get into the harvest part and uh, et cetera. So that's basically what we do there. Um, and like uh, in 2009, the Quality Deer Management Association, uh, and something that we're very proud of, uh, awarded us with uh, the Al Brother Professional Deer Manager of the Year Award. So we're pretty happy about that still to this day. Yeah. Um, but we wear many hats um, here at Drumalog. We're uh, happy to be uh, a part of the Management Advantage. And uh, the Management Advantage, if everyone uh, could remember, it used to be on the Outdoor Channel, and now it's strictly web-based. And we usually have a, a web show once a month. Uh, we try to have it sooner, but a lot of us have careers and, and stuff, and we don't get as much as we would like to, but we're currently trying to change that. And, you know, there we go, um, we talk about, you know, the latest trends and, and try to help people out in their management uh, decisions and, and guide them. Where, you know, it's just uh, you know, with, the, with your phone or whatever, you're, we're just a one-finger tip away from helping somebody. So that's something. And uh, also, uh, like I said, we wear many hats. I'm currently um, in the process of getting my real estate license and working for Mojito Properties here in Ohio as well. So. We're pretty uh, excited about that venture as well. Nice. That's it in a nutshell. So that means in the future you can get me a sweet deal on an Ohio property? Not a problem. Not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. I'm sure we can help you out. I I love the great state of Ohio. It's my my favorite trip of the year is heading south of the border and chasing those big deer. We we let... uh, we let the people from up north come to Ohio. <laughs> I appreciate the generosity. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so you mentioned the fact that you know with Drumming Log Wildlife, you do a lot of you know overall habitat and property and management consulting for deer hunting. And uh-huh. to to maybe kick us off, I wanted to try to get like a, a high level idea of your like philosophy for how you approach management habitat management and so i thought maybe the best way to do that would be to imagine that i have a hypothetical blank slate property let's say i come to you uh-huh. i want your help as a consultant to help me you know improve this property for hunting and for deer and let's assume yeah. it's just a basic mix an average mixed up property of some timber some ag some you know some brush of some type um can mm-hmm. you share with me what the beginning process would be let's say i, I come to you i say hey here's my property what what happens next? What are the what's the process that we yeah. go through? Well, what we like to do is when we come out to a piece of property, um, basically what we like to do is we sit down with uh, like with you, and um, instead of you know just jumping in walking the property, what we like to do is we get to know you, you know, and sometimes that you know we have to ask some personal questions, and to get to know you. Um, you know, a lot of the clients when we get to their property are just really eager to get out in the field, and rightfully so. But we, there's a lot of steps before we go out there. And a lot of, some of those steps at the beginning are, you know, like I said, personal questions. We sit down with you. We try to get to know who you are and some of your limitations. And some of those limitations are, like, do you own equipment? What type of equipment? Because we don't want to go out there and start saying, hey, we're, let's get a dozer in here. Let's do this and this and this. And some of those questions that we ask is like, you know, what, unfortunately, it takes money sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes to do some of these management practices that we might recommend. And I don't want to re- waste your time or my time or making you feel like, well, I don't have a shot in the dark. 
you know, we try to get those questions answered before we go out there. Um, that way it just it saves, you know, like I said, time and sometimes embarrassment for the, for the client. And um, so, you know, some of the questions are, you know, equipment. And then also, you know, uh, what's your neighbors like? You know, do you have neighbors that you, you know, that you have run-ins? Are they going to be intruding on your property, you know, trespassing issues? Uh, it, you know, some parts of the Midwest, a lot of oil and gas and those, you know, those pumper guys, are they on your property? When are they on your property? You know, just silly questions like that from time to time that needs, depends on where I'm at. When I drive to your property, for example, I'm soaking in the last, like, half hour to your property. I'm soaking in the area, trying to get an idea of what's going on. Um, try to do some research on the area as well. But, um, but after we feel comfortable, you know, getting to know you, because um, the hardest part of my job is not going out and, and telling you or giving you advice on how to manage wildlife. It's either you know it or you don't, and the client will p- quickly pick up on that. It's, get, it's the first, we always joke around, that it's the first 10 to 15 minutes uh, to have a complete stranger have full faith in you, and that's a lot to ask. So, you know, that's the hardest part of being a consultant, a dear consultant nowadays, um, and trying to manage those expectations as well. Um, so when we feel comfortable getting to know one another, we go, we quickly go into a PowerPoint presentation, and we try to start everybody on, you know, Deer Management 101 at the ba- you know, the bottom line. Um, you know, a lot of clients will say, well, we can skip that part. I know a little bit about it. I'm a QDMA member and a lot, a lot, you know. But, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So we try to start everybody at the ground zero and then work up from there. And uh, whether you know something or you don't know something. And, you know, and it helps you out, too. Some of the terminology that I'll be using out in the field, it helps you understand, you know, there's a picture of it. You know what it looks like. You know what we're trying to search for. When I, we're, we're walking out in the, into the, your field and I say warm season grasses, you'll, from our PowerPoint presentation, you'll know what it looks like, how to plant it, you know, some of the difficulties of it. We go over all that stuff before we got in the field. And then when I feel comfortable that you have a, an, a good idea of what we're doing, then is when we go out, walk the property, and uh, try to, you know, uh, unlock the full potential of your, you know, your piece of paradise that you spent so much time and money on, you know, trying to guide you. And every property is different. What your property is like with you running it is going to be different if Dan owned the same property, okay, due to his limitations, what he's trying to search for. You can't just put a blanket thing on any property because it's, it's not the, the property. It's the owner or leasee who is going to dictate what is going on on that property. You follow me on that? Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, so it's not just a you know, one-size-fits-all. You, know, you can't do that. And um, so that's, you know, why we, do, we ask those sometimes those personal questions, trying to get to know you, what, what you're capable of, you know. So now, we're not going to recommend a lot of things if you're not necessarily capable of or ready to do that. So, Eric, then for someone who's at home, who, who isn't using consultant, but who themselves wants to improve their habitat for deer, um, you know, what questions should they be asking? You mentioned a few things that you would be asking a client and I'm assuming those would be some of the same things that somebody should ask themselves. But, you know, what what other questions should somebody ask when they're sitting down and saying, okay, hey, I want to start improving my habitat. Where What do they need to be thinking about? Yeah. 
That's a great question. That is actually the, like the main question that everybody should be asking, you know, whether a consultant or, you know, um, doing it themselves. Um, it's being honest with each other, or honest with yourself, that is. And that is sometimes the most difficult thing. Is my property and or am I capable of doing what my expectations are? That is probably the number one question that anybody trying to do this themselves should be asking. Okay? It's just being honest. And then going from there. There is not a right or wrong answer to that. Actually, on, uh, answering it honestly gets you ahead. You know, instead of, well, oh, yeah, I'll pull this off. Um, you know, am I capable of, you know, planning a food plot? And if, if so, good. Next step. If I'm not, what do I need to do to correct that? You know, questions like that. And the big thing is, is, you know, is my property capable, let's just say you have 40, 50 acres. Is my property, you know, capable of producing good quality habitat? I want to plant switchgrass, but my property is all woods. Okay, well, that's there's a lot of limitations there. You know, knowing what you want and what your property is capable of and the soil and everything is, you know, sometimes they don't, they don't mesh. And that is doing your homework. You know, that is educate yourself. It's, it's so important. Whether you hire somebody or you do it yourself is to educate yourself. You know, there's, there's just a whole bunch of information out there. And, and unfortunately, and I hate to say this out loud, but unfortunately, there's a lot of it that's not, it's, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's not all that great. I'm trying to, you know, struggle with words here without offending anybody. Um, you know, it's just you have to sift through the good and with the bad, and that's where educate, you know, educating yourself uh, will get you there. But it's a big thing is you know being realistic. Um, and you know, unfortunately, if you live in the Midwest, you know, sometimes like let's use Ohio for example, having the right piece of the puzzle is crucial here in our state. You know, you could have 20 acres. I have clients that have 20 acres in the state and shoot three and a half, four and a half year old deer every year. But the big thing is, is you have to give them a reason to be there. And what is that? What is lacking in your surrounding area? That's another question that you should be asking. If you're surrounded by corn, you know, don't plant corn. If you're surrounded by grasses, don't plant grass. You have to be different. Okay. And you have to take that hundred acre or a thousand acre concept and shrink it down to whatever size property you, you're trying to manage. You know, you, the more diverse your property is, which means more, you know, uh, variety that's out there, um, the more attractive it's going to be. So that's your goal is to take that big property concept and shrink it down. Offer soft mass, offer hard mass if you don't have it. And you have to think to yourself, hey, you know, there's four seasons in a year. Is my property producing some type of cover that is going to be adequate for that time of year for that white-tailed deer for them to be on my property as long as possible? So that's things that you need to strive for. You need to pick out the weaknesses of your property. Don't concentrate on the strong points just yet. Okay, so you need to pick out the weaknesses of the property and then go from there. So that is some, some of the questions that you need to be asking yourself. Yeah, those are those are some key ones, really, and some things that are right in line with a lot of what what I've learned and seen too. You know, like you said, 
expectations, understanding what your expectations are, understanding, you know, what you're missing, you know, what are the weaknesses, what are the areas that are missing? And then, you know, how do I provide diversity? Um, that all makes sense. Now, one of the things, one of the first things you mentioned expectations, um, as some of the listeners know, my co-host Dan has a newborn baby Mac and um, mm-hmm. he unfortunately just had to drop off the line, Eric, because there were some baby issues, I think. Um, but he had sent me a question he wanted me to ask you before he dropped off. Um, yeah. And that is about expectations. You know, what happens if someone comes to you, or I guess, how do you work with someone to answer that expectation question properly or how to set those expectations properly? Because I imagine guys might come to you and say, Hey, I want to shoot a 180, but maybe they have a 20 acre property in Michigan. Um, yeah. How would you recommend someone properly set expectations? Yeah. And that goes back. I, I want to shoot 182. Mark. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Me <know>? too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get in line. Uh, no, it, and like I said back at the beginning, is is that sometimes the hardest part of my job, you know, sometimes you have to be a psychiatrist, which is you know part of being a consultant, is you know you you it's being honest with the client, you know um, that seems to be you know obviously the number one goal is like well you know Mark we have a long way to get there, you know and you just kind of. You have to manage that expectation, and how you do that, it's per person. You know, you, that's my job to feel that out. If, you know, can I you know, go directly and just be brunt with you, or do I need to take steps to get you, you know, take a couple steps down on the rungs of the ladder, you know? Um, so, yeah, it, it's, that gets asked so much. You know, a majority of the clients that we, you know, we have uh, that we're doing business with is, yeah, they all want, you know, and they, they expect you when you show up that you're going to produce that form. And that's with every consult. And it's no fault to them. You know, they just, they, they have read, they've watched TV, they've done all that stuff. And they thought, well, all I need to do is this. No, there's so much steps, so much process. None of it's hard. It's just, it's managing time. It's like losing, I always tell clients, it's like losing weight. You know, we all want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but if you're coming home and eating a bag of chips, it's not going to happen, you know? So you have to just be patient. We will get there if your property is capable of it. You know, it takes a lot to get to, you know, producing a three and a half year old deer anywhere, which is usually a 130 to 160 class white tail, depending on where you live. That is an accomplishment. That seems to be the thing that, Anymore, a three-year-old is treated like a two-year-old, you know, uh, a 120, a 110, you know, um, everyone's shooting big. And that's great. That's great motivation. But you have to bring it down when you're starting out. Let's, let's concentrate on the habitat first, okay, and then we'll go to the harvest part. Let's give them a reason to be here on your property first. Then we can start inventorying, and then we can start recommending, hey, you need to shoot X amount of does. Um, we don't believe in calling, so we don't concentrate on that stuff. Um, so, you know, it's just doing some homework. It's just educating the client, you know, listening to them, being patient, as well as trying to teach them patience. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit. All right. It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. So quick follow-up on that then. For for someone who's who's thinking through this themselves, you know, the the expectation setting process, what would you recommend as, as the right or is there a right criteria? You know, should they be looking at setting expectations or goals based on antler size, like, uh, you know, score? Or should they be, you know, start out by thinking just at age class maybe? Or would you recommend something different entirely? What What's your recommended kind of way yeah, for people to start setting proper goals? That is a question. That it's a very good question. You'd think there would be a really quick answer to that. And unfortunately, there's not because it's per person. <laughs> And then, you know, it's one of those things a lot in the deer world, there's not a right or wrong answer. And it's not the wrong answer sometimes in the public's eye, even though you might believe in that. Um, you can't be ashamed of that answer. Like, I want to shoot a 180, you know, and I'm not an because I want to, you know, while, you know, whatever reason. And whatever you come up with, you can't be embarrassed about. You know, a lot of people, it's like, I, I did a show one time, why do I practice QDM? And I wanted people not to say the obvious, you know, oh, it's for the white-tailed deer. Well, that's the obvious answer. I didn't, I had a, I had so many people, uh, you know, send me little video clips and none of them 
they answered it right, but I think they answered it because they were worried about what the public was going to view them as. You know, be honest. You know, I want to shoot a 180, and I'm not ashamed of it. So it's per person. You know, I like to, you know, go by age. Because like in Ohio, the average lifespan of a deer in Ohio is a year and a half. So anything above that is a win. You know, you, you go by your area. Now, if you live in Illinois and you're surrounded by leases and, and giant farming, you're not, you know, you don't have urbanization around you, you can shoot that expectation up a little bit. But if you live in an urban area, which most like Michigan, Ohio, even Indiana anymore, uh, Pennsylvania, the Midwest, um, you know, pick a state. It's all urbanized. So you have to like, well, is my area even capable, you know, due to hunting pressure? You know, you might be trying to shoot a 160 all your life and it's not happening. You're passing up 140s. Well, that might be all that's going to happen due to the outside world, not your piece of property. But sometimes your neighbors are the ones that's limiting you from achieving that. And that's not their fault because it's their right. And that's what makes the world go around to shoot whatever deer they want. Everybody, I don't put your shoes on. You don't walk in mine, you know. So, so that's that's the answer. I know I didn't mean to ramble there, but that's basically the answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, there really is no one size fits all um, answer yeah. to that question. Everyone has to mm -hmm. to make that decision on their own. So, yep. so we've you know uh, I'm looking at my property. I've I've figured out. Okay, here's the limitations. Here are some areas that I need. Here's like the uh, ways I can make my property more diverse. I've got an idea of what my limitations and expectations should be. I'm setting the proper goals. I've got these things figured out to some degree now. Um, mm -hmm. Now I'm ready to start working on the property, let's say, this summer. What are your, if I'm focusing just on this time of year, what kinds of projects are, the, are your favorite things to be working on during the summer that someone could listen to today and actually start working on in the coming weeks or months on their property to improve it for deer and deer hunting? Yeah. And yeah, it's just how much tape we have, Mark. It's just <laughs> the life of a deer manager can be as complicated as you want. You know, it's just, you can make yourself as busy as possible and your family hate you, or you can just, you know, Hey, I'm going to lower my expectations down and I'm going to do what I can. Um, and that's like, once again, I hate to, you know, beat the dead horse, uh, here, but it's, it's, it's per person and what they're trying to accomplish. But, you know, as a whole, if you planted some spring food plots, you know, um, you know, last month, which most people probably have their food plots in by now. Um, so what's what's doing right now? What's going on in your food plots? And that is, you know, weed growth, you know, uh, going out there in your food plots. Just don't plant your food plots and just walk away. You know, you have to for that to achieve what your, ex, you know, your expectations are, you know, um, you have to control the weed growth. Now, if you don't have the money to, you know, put forth the herbicide, you know, because that stuff is very expensive. It's getting more expensive every year. You know, sometimes, you know, you go, well, that's, it is what it is. And whether it's whatever you planted is going to dictate whether is mowing the best way, is herbicide the best way, you know. So you need to go out there and if, if you love hunting over food plots and food plots is your thing, you need to get out there and see what is growing other than what you planted. And, and that is one thing that uh, we really try to emphasize, you know, educate yourself. You know, there's many books out there like Weeds of the Northeast. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to your extension office. It's around $40, $50. Uh, 
that book is priceless. Independent on where you live, I think there's coming out with a new book, Weeds of the Southeast. Um, I think that book is coming out where that book is just full of all the weeds that is, you know, in your area. And it has the early, mid, and late stage in it. And you could take that book out there and learn what that weed is, where you'll know what herbicide to use. You know, if you don't know your weeds, you go, well, it's, well, Roundup. Well, that Roundup might not work. Roundup is not the miracle herbicide. It might, it might take a broadleaf killer, like a 2,4-D or, you know, et cetera. But you need to know your weeds and you need to go out there and check that out, especially if you planted your food plots last month. I know here in the mid, you know, in Ohio, for example, we've been just getting enough rain for that. It's not enough for the plant. It's great for thistle, you know, uh, you know, it's all the, all the weeds love it. Just enough rain to make them grow, but not enough. So I know my food plots are weedy. I need to get out there this weekend. But I, once again, even, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I still need to go out there and see what's going on. Um, the next thing is, too, is, you know, if you have a 50 acres, you need to, you know, you have your property set, like you said, everything's done, and you're still having, you're missing that one piece. And most of the time, to make your property more attractive is, it's not necessarily on your property. It's your neighbor's. And that is taking the time to not be aggressive with your neighbors, but trying to form a co-op. If you don't feel like you're capable of doing that, go in and talking to your neighbor going, hey, how you doing? I don't, you know, whatever, talking to them, try to get them, but not being pushy or, oh, here comes Mark again. You know, not that kind of, don't be that guy, right. but be the guy like, hey, this is, if you do this, look what we can do. You know, my deer, your deer, your deer, my deer. We can produce, we can produce that big deer if we work together. Some years you're going to be successful. Some years I'm going to be the guy that's successful. But we can only do that if we work together. So that is a big job. I mean, a lot of people don't concentrate on that. They concentrate on their property, but sometimes their property is not the limiting factor. It's the outside, you know, especially in states like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and more urbanized, you know, the smaller tracts of ground. You know, don't forget that part, you know. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a great point. Yeah, and then... Um, also, you know, I, I don't, I see, I'm the type of guy, um, I'm, I love using deer cameras. I absolutely love using them. But I did a research project a couple of years ago and, and showing the, what some of the deer responses to the camera. And knowing what I knew, you know, what I learned from that, you know, I'm not a big guy right now. And I, I never uh, make clients not do it. You know, they're going to do what they want to do um, is, you know, kind of get ready to put the cameras out if that is your thing, you know. Um, but you got to remember, the more you're on your property, you know, the, that's that, all it takes is one time to bump that deer that's like, I'm tired of being some guy walking in here every couple of days to check his camera. You know, he's going to leave. You know, stay off your property as much as you possibly can. So using cameras this time of year, you know, it's like, what are you going to see? You know, we all like to inventory our deer, and I do as well. But, like, this time of year, you have some growth. Okay, okay, so what do you learn from that? Well, not necessarily a lot. Not yet. So it depends on what you what you like to do. But if you are into cameras, that's definitely one thing that you should be getting ready is to start inventorying some of your deer 
checking your fond recruitment. That is a big thing. Um, you know, cameras are a great way. Uh, keep your mineral licks going. Those does are going through so much. You know, they're pulling so much out of the body because of fawn production. Um, you know, so that's something to keep your minerals uh, going if you're allowed to use that in your state. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, there's other ways to do that, and that's a topic for another day. But um, also, too, is learning your deer. You can't manage your deer unless you learn your deer. And that necessarily doesn't mean on your property because, you know, a lot of your bucks, you know, those bachelor groups of bucks might be feeding that soybean field that, or alfalfa field you know, several miles away, okay? So, you know, grabbing the family on a, you know, here in June, it'll be hot and humid and uh, soybeans are growing good, alfalfa, even in July, as we all know, you know, grab the family, put them in the back of the pickup, go for a ride, and, or take your neighbor's kids, take anybody that wants to go and learn your deer. You know, um, that doesn't mean just necessarily bucks. Know your, you know, you're trying to inventory your bucks. You're looking at the health of your herd, your local herd. Because most of the time, that local herd, if you're managing your property correctly, is going to be on your property at one point in time. The big thing, too, is everybody wants to concentrate on your bucks. Concentrate on your does, you know, and that will help you manage your property. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you have doe A and she brings out two fawns, okay, and you're watching them, you're watching them, and you know her. She has a ear, you know, every deer has a identification. You just sometimes have to use your imagination. You know, bucks are obvious. Those are harder because they don't have a rack to identify them. But she comes out at a certain place. She has a spot on her left knee, something. If, she, if you can't find it, you're not looking hard enough. But if she brings out two fawns, like maybe, say, let's say two weeks straight, <laughs> excuse me, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Doe A brings out one fawn for a week. And the next thing you know, that Doe A does no fawns. So what's that tell us? Well, we either have, she, she, you know, she lost those fawns. Why did she lose those fawns? Do I have a predator problem? Okay. If I have a predator problem, I need to start trapping or you need to kind of blame yourself. Maybe I don't have enough uh, fawning cover on my property. Maybe I need to improve on that. I'm concentrating too much on food plots. Okay. So you wouldn't know any of that unless you educate yourself on your local herd. Get out there. Take a ride. You know, take a little quick drive, a half-hour drive with the binoculars. It's fun for you. It's fun for your family. It depends on what they're into. It's you know, it's time. You know, bring your friends involved. You know, it just it makes it a lot easier. And learn your deer. And by doing, you know, more things like that, it's only going to help you. Now, before we move on to another question for Eric, we need to pause briefly for a word from our sponsors of this podcast, Sika Gear. Now, last week on the podcast, we heard about who. Sika designed their new 2015 Whitetail line for. So the next thing I'm wondering about is why? Why does Sika do what they do? So here with us is Dennis Zuck from Sika Gear to answer that very question. Yeah, I mean that that's really a great question. And I think if you think a lot of companies out there, it's you know, you sometimes know what that answer is and sometimes you don't. And you know, for us, you know, the why, you know, we're all hardcore hunters in our own right. I mean, you know, whether I do whitetail and another guy does waterfowl. But, you know, for us, we, you know, our time's worth so much. And, you know, we, we work really hard to get out in the field and, and spend some time doing the things we love. You know, and, and for us, you know, the clothing compartment, the, the clothing aspect of that is paramount to being comfortable and enjoying those moments and having fun and being able to make the most out of them. 
you know, our why is about the experience. We do it for the experience of our consumers, our customers. Heck, we build these things for ourselves. We want the best experiences when we're out in the field. You know, our why has a lot to do with, it's not about the kill. It's not about the success particularly. You know, that's a factor for every hunter, but it's about the entire time I'm going to invest. And invest is the right word to use in my time out in the field doing the things I love. Sika Gear, doing what they do for you, for me, and for the experience. Now, back to the show. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite things in the summer is to do some long-range surveillance on those soybean mm-hmm. fields and things. That's that's a blast. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned a bunch of things there that I want to dive into deeper. Um, yeah. But one thing that stood out to me, which I was actually uh, thinking about asking you about uh, even before we talked, was your perspective on trail cameras. Because, like you mentioned, um, I remember reading, I think it was either reading or a video I saw from you a number of years ago, about yeah, your was. findings from this study of sorts that you did related to trail cameras. And I think you were looking at how maybe the flash or the sounds or something like that was possibly spooking deer. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but can you can you give us more details on that? What did you find? How are trail cameras or how we use trail cameras potentially impacting deer? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'll start at the beginning. I got a camera, and, you know, I won't say necessarily what brand, but I got a camera in the mail, and I, you know, I just, you know, think I know everything. I just threw some batteries in it, came a card, and threw it up, and I realized two weeks later when I got back to the house that it had all these strange icons. It was all, it was, I accidentally said it on video. And I'm like, what? You know, that was before video was popular. And I'm like, what in the world is this? I don't want this. I want pictures. <laughs> So I can brag to my buddies, right? Right. So then I realized, like, wait a minute. I can age this deer better. I can score this deer better. I can see the health of the doe. I can see every. This is like a whole new world. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So months went by, and I realized, wait a minute. Some of these deer were acting what I call negative. There was a negative response. And, um, I'm, and it kept on going. I kind of just brushed it off. I kept on going and going. It's like, wait a minute. I, I need to, this, this calls for, a, you know, a research project. And I, I dedicated 13 months to this project. And, um, and I, I did it all over the state of Ohio, not just my backyard. Um, cause, you know, I wanted just to get a sample. And what I, what, it, what came from that, the quick and dirty version of this is that there was a doe certain response and then there was a buck response. Not, a doe didn't act like a buck. A buck didn't act like a doe when they had a negative response to the camera. It was absolutely amazing what we learned from this. And what we were doing is we would we set up, we decide, okay, where do people put their cameras? Obviously scrapes, uh, bedding areas, even though they shouldn't, but they, sometimes bedding areas, transition zones from bedding to um, feeding areas. And we set the cameras on the deer run, off the deer run. Um, we had them at bait stations. We had them in food plots, okay? And every certain, uh, certain situation had a different response. Now, food plots, we didn't really have a negative response. Why? And, we want, and it was the obvious because most of the cameras are usually left there. They're, they're put there at a, for a longer period of time, so the deer kind of get acclimated to the camera. Same thing as a feeding station. Um, a feeder or whatever. The deer are used to seeing that, so we didn't have a lot of negative responses to those. But scrapes, I don't care if you believe what I say or not, but please walk away with this. Do not put your your camera on a scrape 
per se. Put it on the opposite side of the tree or on the back side of the deer, all right? Because that was the number one negative response that we had is that wow. it was funny. If you watch the video, uh, I had a deer come in, and it was just all the time. Once they saw the camera, they would investigate it. Now, they'll walk by it, look at it. I had some deer walk up, you know, a whole bunch of times. And finally, they realized, wait a minute, what is that thing? They would walk up and investigate it, and the bucks would absolutely, like you slap them on the butt with a two-by-four. It was amazing. And I had one buck that was coming in for days, and all of a sudden he realized that the camera was there. And he, he never came back to that scrape, ever. I mean, for the rest of the year. He never did. Could have been another reason? Absolutely. But the obvious reason is that the camera spooked that, that animal. And um, like I said, I'm giving the quick and dirty version of it. But what we did, too, is that, which is important, is that we set the cameras out for two weeks. The first week's data we threw out for obvious reasons because of scents and et cetera. Um, then we only used the second week's data. And as it's amazing what we learned. I mean, we had deer responding where we, had, we parked a four-wheeler. We had those spooking because of the video. We could see that. Spooking, walking up to where the four-wheeler is parked and, and, and getting nervous and walking away. And we're trying to do what? Huh. And they're capable of smelling where a four-wheeler was two weeks ago. You know, it was amazing. We have so much of that information. But what we did, we, we tried to, okay, what do we do with this information? You know, we have to come up with, like, a purpose here. So we asked, we do a lot of seminars, and we asked everybody, hey, what do you think uh, spooks deer? And number one reason would be flash. Second was scent, or the camera makes a sound. So what we did is we put a camera about 10 feet up in the air, and uh, pointed down on a deer run, two deer runs had come together. We had a shell of a camera. The camera was just there. There was no innards. There was no batteries. There was nothing. Okay. And the camera was out for two weeks. Now, 80 yards down, we had another two runs that come together. Okay. And we just had the camera up at 10 feet up. Okay. So we had one camera 10 feet up, another site, which was 80 yards away had a camera 10 feet up with a shell of a camera. Now, with the, where the shell of the camera was, that run was extremely productive. The other run wasn't very active. By the time our thing was done in two weeks, majority of the deer were using the camera was just up. We had deer walking up to that camera and turning inside out. And it was just a shell of a camera. So they were reacting negatively to that to just camera. because they're just because they were seeing it and thinking it was something. Yes. yes. Now that's the thing. Not every deer did this. I have deer, and I'm sure you do too. That bucks that absolutely love the camera. You know, like, hey, look at me. You know, not every deer responded to this. It was just less than half. Just less than half. But that just less than half is very crucial. If you're you're walking with your camera and, and you put your camera out. And then, you know, you want, you, you go to your camera and you see this buck and you just took pictures of it and he's looking right into the camera. And then you go, you go hunt that deer that weekend and you don't see it. Well, chances are, if that deer is looking into the camera, he saw that camera. So that might be one of the reasons why you didn't see him is because you spooked him. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I mean, 
I'm telling you, it's, but the thing is, is that everybody can do this research project. You don't know what your deer are acting if you don't go out there and put your camera on video and try it yourself. It's so simple. You can do it. Everybody can do this. See how your deer reacted. And I had a lot of people, I did a seminar afterwards to, you know, show everybody the world that what I come up with. And I had people go home and they only heard I put the camera up high. Oh, I need to put the camera up high. That was it. And I had people call me and just scream at me like, you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what happened? Well, I had my camera at the deer feeder. Uh, I, I had it up high and I put it down below. Or no, I had the camera at, you know, normal level. And after I heard your seminar, I put it up about six foot high and all my deer spooked. And I said, well, of course they did. If you walk into your house and it's usually empty, okay, and then one day you walk in, there's a box sitting there. Aren't you going to notice it? You know, if yeah. there's a box in the middle of the floor, in, the, in his situation, the box is in the middle of the floor, 364 days. You come in there one day, he comes in and walking in one day, it's over in the corner. Aren't you going to notice that? Yeah. You know? So it's one of those things. But you don't know. Not every deer did it. Every property's different. Deer personalities. So you need to try it yourself before you go, oh, I need to do all this. You know, so, so are there any, sorry, go ahead. No, the final thing was, is we noticed that when we put the camera up about eye level, about six foot up. Okay. And we angled it down a little bit. The, the negative response dropped dramatically. I mean, it dropped like 90%. Wow. So just by doing that. So the big three takeaways maybe would be would number one, test this out yourself with video and see Mm -hmm. how your deer are acting. Number two, make sure you don't put a a camera right on a scrape. And number three, when you are using cameras, try to place them higher angled down, which seems like it helps a little bit. Yeah. If you notice that your deer are responding negatively, try putting the camera up about six foot up and angle it down a little bit. Okay. You can put a little stick behind it and like the scrape, don't put it on the scrape tree. Put it on the other side. You know, I'm telling you that. I mean, that was the big thing is a lot of deer, I mean, they spooked. I mean, they just did not like it. Once that's, they once they found it, they did not like it. That's good stuff to know. I mean, putting cameras on scrapes is so popular. And uh, oh, yeah. I imagine a lot of people are, are spooking deer because of that. So I... Yeah. I, I'll definitely be readjusting a little bit of what what I do, given this reminder, um, because I, I too like putting cameras on scrapes. But if there's a way to get it not quite, you know, still taking photos of the scrape, but not quite there and you know eye level right in front of the deer, that makes a lot of sense that yeah. that would bother them. So, yeah, um, that's great. So taking another step back now to something else you mentioned, food plots. Um, again, I know in many cases, you know, as we talked about, what we're doing from a habitat project standpoint is always going to be determined based on my unique circumstances on the property and what's the, what, what the needs are. Um, but let's kind of work with some generalities here. Um, for the average hunter who's got an average property, um, who wants to try to plant something in late summer, you know, a, a late summer food plot, that's going to be something they can use during the season to either attract her to a property or to hunt. Do you have a few favorite types of food plots for that kind of situation that are, relatively attainable for the average manager who maybe doesn't have millions of dollars of equipment and things like that? Yeah, and that, that drops it down a lot. Um, you know, there, 
like I said earlier, there's no such thing as a magic bean. There are some that's awful close. Alfalfa, soybean. Um, alfalfa, you got to know what you're doing to grow alfalfa. You know, because most of you got to think most of the time the people that you know where where they buy property is sometimes not the best soil, not the best topography, and they want to put this luscious clover field in and stuff like that. You know, sometimes not doing planting a food plot is actually better. Um, but let's just stick with the food plots first. You know, it's just what you're capable of planting is what you should be planting, and how much money you have to put forth. And it's frustrating as a consultant that. You know, you have, you, you go to Cabela's or Gander Mountain or pick a place and you buy, you, you see this, this advertising on this bag of seed that just has, you know, I call it deer porn on there. You know, it says guaranteed 36% protein. Da, 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 da. Well, no, that's not, that's not true because you can take that. It might have the capability of it, but you might not have the capability of it because you need to do a soil sample. You need to put the lime or fertilizer, and that stuff doesn't work overnight. So people buy this seed, they go and plant it, and expect, you know, their quarter-acre food plot, they see a doe in it, they think, oh, you know, milk production is high, and this buck is growing that 180 rat because they eat out of this food plot. Well, it might have the capability of being, you know, close to 30% protein, but if you didn't do the work, it might be in the, in the low 20s, and it might not be palatable. It might not taste good to them because of the acidity of the soil, etc. So you have to put, just because it's medium red clover or Durana clover doesn't mean they're going to eat it if it doesn't taste good. You know, so you got to put the work in the soil. Soil grows deer. That's your first job as a, as a deer manager. Just get that soil to where it needs to be. So, and don't be ashamed that, hey, I'm only going to plant winter wheat and buckwheat because it's easy to grow. I don't have a lot of good equipment. You know, there's not a deer or, or, or turkey in this, this country, I don't think, that doesn't eat buckwheat. You know, it's very inexpensive. If you look at the seed long, long enough, it'll germinate in front of you. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a, you know, I call it the poor man's, you know, gold. It's just, um, you know, just simple. Keep with it simple until you get that soil, you know, to where it needs to be before you buy the expensive seed. And don't be shy or well, my buddies are planting this, and it looks gorgeous, so I have to do that. No, don't keep up with the joint Joneses when you do deer management. You know, you got to feel your way through it. Don't worry about what the other guy's doing. But yeah. the biggest thing, Mark, is that some of my best properties that I manage don't have one food plot on them, and we, and we produce, you know, 180s to 200-inch animals with no food plot. We just manage the native vegetation. You know, an old field-type environment, can produce over 2,000 pounds of food per acre, and it's highly desired. 70% of a deer's diet during the growing season is forbs and browse. Pokeweed, that pink stock with the purple berries, 32% protein, roughly, and it's, it's highly desired. Ragweed, 18% protein. Goldenrod, 16% protein. Beggar's Life, 28% protein. Your Sumax, R20, and in, in the 20s. And I can go on and on. And the best part about it is that it didn't cost you a dime. It didn't cost you any money. Once every five years, you go out there and you light a match to it if you can burn in your state, or you brush hog and disc. Disking promotes more broadleaves. And you got to remember, all a deer needs is 16% protein to reach its optimum potential. That's it. So managing your native vegetation 
It doesn't cost money, and it's 70% of their diet during the growing season. That doesn't mean you hunt a pokeweed patch in, in October because it's not going to be productive. If you want to plant a small food plot of, let's just pick one turnips, that's fine. But I'm not, I tell you, I want to, and especially depending on where you live in this country, and I, keep, I, I, I don't want to keep using Ohio, but in this case, I will. You know, urban is I, you know, you're running out of places to hunt, so you're, you're concentrating hunters. It's cover that grows deer, but cover that equals food. You know, when the deer, there's so much research out there. Three-year-old bucks will leave the best food source for quality cover when pressured. Your place has to be that. Make your place a grocery store with food plots because everybody loves to play farmer. I know I do. But don't put all your, all your marbles into food plots. Manage your native vegetation. We were producing big deer long before Whitetail Institute Clover, who will pick a seed company. You know, it's native vegetation. I just watched a bunch of deer the other night. They spent more time eating the edge than they did in alfalfa. They spent more. You know what? Huh. That's great because that's that's protein. It, it didn't cost no money. It cost me no money. And it's it gets all the protein. And it also gets all the mineral. There's mineral content to those plants, depending on the quality. Especially if you don't, if your state doesn't allow mineral, that's one way to get around that. Is manage your native vegetation. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever, and you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, Try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at 
twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. So, so on the native vegetation piece, you mentioned that we can burn, disc, or mow to improve yeah. that. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? So we can, you know, for people that have maybe, you know, I'm already thinking in my head, you know, does this native vegetation that I can work with, is that just my couple, you know, open fields that are growing up in weeds? Is that all I have to work with? Yeah, or do you recommend, that... sorry, I was just going to say, or, no, is there, no, no. or is there creating, you know, additional openings like that to create new native vegetation? You know, could you just tell us a little more about specifically how someone could do that? Yeah. If your property is all wooded, you know, you're going to have to decide, okay, what, what, you know, how am I going to make the property attractive to my, to go along with my pay, my, my checkbook. Okay. But if your property is diverse, 50, 50 open ground, or, you know, that big ag field that you bought, you know, but it has a little bit of wood lots, don't just go in there and start planting food plots everywhere. Uh, that's my advice. You know, like I said, knowing what I know with native vegetation, I'm going to concentrate on that, okay, because I know what it does for white-tailed deer. So creating, it's diversifying your property, the more diverse, okay, they use it for bedding. And when you, when you manage a piece of property, you got to think 365 days, okay, I need to offer as much as I possibly can for bedding and also food, okay. Now, there's no food value come fall necessarily, not, I mean, there's food, but it's not like they're getting the protein and the switch to carbs. That's where, you know, hard mass or soft mass comes in or your food plots. But it's if you have an old field, you know, if you don't know what that is, if you have allergies, go walk through a piece of, you know, little section of it and you start sneezing. That's that's an old field, you know, because it's ragweed, goldenrod, you know, all the stuff that makes people sneeze. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's it's. That, you know, and that is some phenomenal stuff. That is nothing but a grocery store, and people have to, they, they feel compelled to get on a tractor and start brush hogging. You know, all I need, because it's aesthetics. The best deer habitat is usually the non-aesthetically pleasing stuff, okay? So get off your mower. You know, go brush hog something else. But it's just, in managing that, you can micromanage that. You know, let's say you had an acre of an old field. And just like everything else in, you know, in nature, when it's young, it has the highest protein. As it grows older, it loses protein, loses protein. Well, that usually goes along with the time of year. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, let's say July, August, you know, um, I still have a lot of does. You know, I have some does. I have a good fawn crop and that milk production. Sometimes I'll go in there in that acre of old field. I'll mow it, okay, a section, wait two weeks. And, and break the break the, the acre in like thirds. So I mow the first section. Two weeks later, I'll go in and mow another section, but disc the first section, if you follow me. And that promotes broadleaf, the ragweed, 18% protein, and other stuff. And you don't disc it like you disc a food plot. You're not planting anything. You just need to rough up the soil just enough to get broadleaves to come up. They hate it. They respond to it. And then, you know, then you move to the next section, and then you disc the middle section. And then you disc, you know, a couple months or weeks down the road, you just lightly disc the other section. Okay, so you're just doing a rotation. You don't have to do that. 
sometimes you just, you know, light a fire um, once every five years, um, you know, but never just mow because mowing an old field environment just produces grasses. We don't want grasses. We want broad, we want broad leaves, okay, broad wheat, beneficial wheat. The ones that I mentioned. So that's great stuff. That's I think that's you know as you mentioned that's something that's so overlooked. The the sexy mm-hmm. thing is food plots, and no one ever really wants to pay attention to the, just yeah. the weeds that are growing around there. But that, no. like you said, it's a, a cost effective, easy way to no. get some great it's, food. It's, up a, there. it's a mental thing. Like I go in there, it's like I'd love to put a food plot in here, and I'm looking at it, just nothing but a one acre grocery store. And I'm like, no. No, I highly recommend we leave this. It just needs it just needs tweaked. But I want to play. But no, you're on a fixed income. Okay, you got five kids. We need to just concentrate. This is it's hard for people. They want to get on a tractor and spend money. Don't spend money. That is more beneficial to you. Now, wheat <laughs> doesn't mean we can't plant a little brassica fruit plot, a little one eighth of an acre by your tree stand. You know, a harvest plot. But don't turn it all into clover. Now, clover's a forb, okay? That's part of the 70% of their diet, forbs and browns. But look what it takes, uh, for example, to grow, to get that clover in 20%. We have to do soil tests. That's 30-something dollars, depending on where you go. Sometimes it's cheaper. Then you got a liner fertilizer. That's more money. And then we got we to gotta plant it. That's money. And then we got to herbicide it. That's more money. And then we got to mow it. Then we got to pray for rain, pray for it to stop raining, <laughs> all for 27% protein when we could have left that old field environment that was ranging from 16 to 32% protein, and it didn't cost us any money. That's, and uh... it provides cover, it provides fawning cover, it provides everything. Like I said, over 2,000, I can produce more food per acre, you know, in a normal stance, okay, instance, than some guy trying to do a food plot. Now, a farmer, I'm not talking about a farmer, I'm talking about a deer manager. I can I can micromanage a one-acre food, you know, thing and produce more tons of food per acre. Yeah, you, you've definitely got me convinced to pay some more attention to my <laughs> to my natural vegetation, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, and, they, and you need to open your eyes when you walk into an old field. Most of the times that stuff doesn't jump out at you. You know, a deer eats four to six pounds of food per, you know, per day. They don't walk up to a, a pokeweed plant and just, you know, eat it onto the stalk. You know, no, they don't do that. They're browsers. Nip, 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 nip. And when you're walking and you start opening your world, your eyes, you'll realize, like, wow, that multiflora rose bush is browsed to death. Oh, that rag, look at the ragweed nips. And you, so most of the time you'd walk right over that. Yeah, yeah, a lot you of us. Know? It's opening us. up a whole new world to you. A lot of us just, like you said, we don't even look at that stuff or don't even know what no. those things are. So. Yeah, you want to concentrate on food, and, and that's that's fine. There's like I said, there's no never a right or wrong answer. It's what you want to do. But like I said, more diverse your property is, the more attractive it's going to be, you know. And, and that's that's the number one goal. There's 365 days. You got to produce all that stuff for those deer to be on that property. Give them a reason to be there. Yeah. Now, something you mentioned a few minutes ago, a little more than a few minutes ago, actually, was the fact that in many areas now cover is becoming one of the more important factors to hold big deer because there's a lack of quality cover in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that people can do now? You know, it's it's the middle of summer, three, four months till deer season. Is there anything someone can do now to still produce or improve quality cover on a property? 
Yeah, you can always chainsaw is the number one gear manager's tool, in my opinion. Somebody else might have a different opinion, but my opinion, chainsaw is the number one gear manager's tool. What you're capable of with that piece of equipment is phenomenal. Uh, you know, if under the right circumstances, I can produce you know close to 1,500 pounds of food per acre by using a chainsaw. But the big thing, like I mentioned earlier, it's cover that equals food. All right. So when you when you manage a woodlot, what you're you're not managing necessarily the trees per se. You're managing sun. The limiting factor is sun on that forest floor. And doing some wildlife, I call them wildlife openings, doing some chainsaw work, opening up the canopy to get that sunlight hitting the forest floor, which in turn is creating browse and cover, cover that equals food, okay? Now, there's many things. There's hinge cutting, which is, you know, that's another subject for another day, how I feel about that. But it's, you know, it's just my goal for you as a client is get the sunlight on the forest floor, okay? And then you can manipulate those bedding areas, okay? I'm not, I'm a firm believer, and I, and I do not mean to offend anybody whatsoever, is the deer bed philosophy is just, I can't stomach it. I'm sorry to make anybody mad by saying that out loud. It's just, it's, I just can't do that. But I can get a deer to bed in a certain area, okay? Not a specific deer, buck doe, just deer bedding in an area. And, um, you know, and you can too. Anybody can with a chainsaw. It's just, it's cutting, you know, the, getting the sunlight on the forest floor. But the thing about it is that is a deer management tool. Now, take your hunting philosophy and mesh the both together, okay? I can create a funnel with a wildlife opening to my tree stand. Take your hunting knowledge of how a whitetail works, and then take your newly found deer management knowledge and put the two together, okay? You know, it's it's it's... It's easy. It's yeah. easy. Put the two together. Deer like funnels. They like pinch points. That's a deer hunting knowledge. Okay, well, well, it's just a big open state park. Well, get your chainsaw out and create it. Create it. Yeah. You know, so it's meshing the both of them together. I love it. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Now, you've you know the, the three main things we've talked about so far in regards to habitat projects would be you know smart food plots native vegetation, improving that and managing it, or, you know, using a chainsaw to improve cover, um, you know, whether that be through, like you mentioned, wildlife openings or hinge cuts or whatever someone might want to do, using that to create cover. So those are three yeah. three tools or processes that someone could go through this summer to work on their properties and improve it. If you had to choose just one of those, you could only choose one, what would be the one you would do that you would say could make the biggest impact on hunting success in year one? <laughs> putting me on the spot. Give me the that's a, that I uh, wasn't paying attention. Give it to me again, so I yeah, can take so, care of it. So you could either do a food plot project, you could do a native vegetation improvement project, or you could do a cover improvement projects with with a chainsaw. One of those three focus areas for this summer. What would be the okay. most effective? Well, yeah, I tell you what as so difficult because it depends on the property, okay? But the thing is, is I'll do the, my best to answer this. And one thing to go back, I never really did answer your question about is this a good time of year? And, you know, usually you kind of do the chainsaw work during dormant season, okay? Not that you can't go out there and start cutting now, you know? It's just if you want to fight the bugs and snakes and all that other stuff that have at it. But usually it's, during, it's done during the wintertime. But I am a big 
native vegetation, and native vegetation goes along with uh, not necessarily just old field, but also chainsaw work. Okay, so, but the thing is, and that's not necessarily answer your question either because it takes patience because, you know, produce, you know, cutting a couple trees down in January or February, you don't really see the results of that cover, you know, explosion, if you will. You don't see that until the following year, okay? So, I, I, I'm a big cover guy. Cover that equals food. And then, you know, I do like planting food plots, so I'll do some manipulation on, you know, strategically planting some, you know, brassicas or winter wheat or whatever I, you know, get my hands on for a hunting setup, okay? I let nature produce the deer. I don't want to spend money on clover. I don't, and that's just me. That's just me, though. I just let nature, I know the benefit of it. I know what it can do. Um, the results are phenomenal. I just, I'm a big native vegetation guy. If you manage that, the deer will be attractive. And native vegetation, um, you know, goes along with soft and hard mass as well. I don't put apples and chestnut trees that planted into the food plot category. I put that in native vegetation. You know, it's a one-time planting deal normally. Okay? So if you like planting food plots, you know, if you're in Illinois and you're just surrounded by ag, Planting a, a hunting food plot is a good idea because most of this time, you know, um, that stuff's harvested and there's nothing there. But in those type of areas, you know, cover is crucial, you know. So it always goes back to cover to me. If you produce quality cover that equals food, you're going to give them a reason to be there, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, um, I've certainly been seeing the same thing. The more and more I focused on trying to improve cover where I have it or where I don't have it or identifying, you know, in cases where I can't improve habitat, just keying in on properties I can find to hunt that do have that cover. That really is most often limiting factor for mature bucks. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, is, you know, if you don't own land or you don't have the money to lease, you know, that, that is the world today. Unfortunately, you know, um, leasing is a big thing here in Ohio, most of the Midwest, as you know, um, it's price per acre goes on up and up and up. And, you know, you can still knock on doors here in the Midwest. Uh, I know in Ohio you can, but it's, it's getting, you know, hard to come by. And you asked me earlier about, you know, things to do projects this time of year is if you don't have the money to buy a piece of property or the, to lease a piece of property, but you, you know, you still want to take your son and daughter gear hunting and trying to find that place is, you know, finding a place, knocking on my door and, Hey, can I hunt? You know, take my son and just don't come to hunt. We forget not to go off on a tangent here, and that's not my intention, but we forget such it is such a limiting commodity anymore. You know, what's wrong at this time of year going and helping someone bail hay or taking them walleye that you wouldn't fish for? You know, just not yeah. kissing up to them, but it's just showing appreciation for when you come and go, hey, I'll give you $20, $30 an acre. Well, I got Eric over here that does a lot for me. I think I'm going to stick with him. Yeah. We forget that work, you know. And then you might have access when you build that relationship, build a friendship where you can go, hey, you mind if I, after you're done harvesting the corn, that I can go in there and broadcast some winter wheat into your. Well, sure. Oh, okay. Hey, can you mind if I take some chainsaws? I won't cut your oak, you know, your veneer stuff, just your junk trees. You can come with. Sure. Why? Because you built a relationship with somebody. Yeah. They trust you. You know, we forget that part. And, you know, instead of just saying, well, I lost all my property. Well, why did you lose it? 
because you didn't do your work, you know. So yeah, so that's important. Why Sorry. No, no, that's that's key. It's it's really hard to get property to hunt on, so you need to work equally hard to keep that access. Is what I yeah, would always recommend. Twice as hard nowadays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So true. So, I've got two more questions for you that aren't related to habitat so much. A little more on okay. the hunting side of things. So, first, based on your experience, you've been able to work with a lot of different hunters given your occupation. Mm-hmm. What is the number one most common mistake you see deer hunters making today? Pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, and, and it is not such a broad answer as well. You can kind of scope that down a little bit is that um, if you only have the smaller the piece of property, which most of us have, you know, we live in the world, real world. Um, you know, we only have 50, 50 acres and it's not well managed because of whatever reason. And you're going and hunting, you know, two or three stands, you're pressuring that property, you know? Um, and it's unfortunate because you enjoy the hunt and everything else. So you got to work twice as hard. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is by staying out of it. The best thing that you could do for your piece of property, and, and I hate to say this out loud, is stay off of it. Hunt it when it's right. Have places where, see, here's the thing what happens is, like, a lot of my clients don't live on the property that they own, all right? So, with that being said, when they got into their truck or car at their house, they checked the wind. It was coming out of the southwest. But they drove an hour or less to the property. It's November 8th. Rut is on. All your coworkers are talking about seeing all these deer on the way to work. It's on. It's on. And you get to your property and the wind's coming out of the northeast. What do you do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You just drove an hour. What do you do? Do you go hunt? All it takes is once. In my opinion, deer make two to three mistakes a year, whether you're in a tree stand or not. Don't give them any more help by hunting the wind wrong. Um, you know, we all walk in, it's funny, we, and I'm guilty of this too. We walk in quiet, stealth-like, ninja mode. And then when we get out of the tree stand, I mean, I usually hunt with a cameraman, and, you know, we're dropping stuff by the tree. <laughs> you know, you just, you forget. I mean, everyone's guilty of it. Yeah, you know? I definitely am. And, and that's, hey, when is, the, when is the, you know, when when is that older class white tail moving around? You know, when there's pressure. Oh, yeah. you know, way past dusk. You know, we're dropping stuff. We're walking, trying to get because your wife was calling you a hundred times. Uh-huh. Get home. <laughs> you know, exactly get home. <laughs> your son's, you know, your son's acting. You know, so you're in a hurry. You're in a hurry. You know, so it's pressure. It's it's, and that is such a broad thing that covers a lot of stuff. You can you know scale it down as much as you want. Is that you know hunt? It's the obvious. Hunt when it's right. Stay off of your food plots. If you only have you know small acres properties, don't hunt your food plots. I want, I try to teach my clients, I want them feeding in that food plot like it's a supplemental feeder. I don't want them worried about getting an arrow shaft in their chest cavity or getting shot at with a bullet. You know, I want them to go and think that is a safe area. I only have 50 acres, so I don't want to spook the deer off my property or have them use it nocturnally. You know, I'll hunt the deer going to the food plot. Now, it doesn't mean you can't hunt the food plot when it's right with a buck decoy or whatever, only you know when it's right. But just don't go hunt the food plot because 
you because you, you want to see deer. Yeah. That's not no. You're not going to kill an older class whitetail by doing that consistently. Get off of your food plots. You know, hunt a deer going to you. If he uses another run, hey, there's another day. God willing, yeah. you know. So you're gonna you're gonna have that encounter if you put your time in. But get off your food plot. Treat your food plots like a supplement of feeder. You don't want them to. You want a stress-free environment on your property. Okay, stress. Stress dictates everything. And if you're hunting your food plots, and how many times have you done this? And I've done it too. You're hunting your food plots for the first time, and or second time, and you got you know 15 deer out in front of you, does and year and a half year old bucks, no two or three year olds yet, and then all of a sudden you know your wife calls your girlfriend or whatever, or it's just time to go home, and you're not hunting with somebody. How do you how do you get out of the tree stand without spitting all those deer? Yeah, because you get down, you clear the field. Hey, guess what you did? You know, you do that once or twice, that food plot is not going to be very productive. But there are instances. If you can hunt with somebody, you know, if they're going to, hey, Mark, you hunt the food plot. Uh, Jim, I'm going to, you know, your buddy Jim is going to be hunting the woods. Have Jim get down. Have Jim on the four-wheeler come and get you. Let him, let the four-wheeler spook the deer. Let something else spook the deer instead of you getting out of the stand that they, they'll figure out, you know, now if you don't hunt with somebody, then, you know, I have clients use coyote call, just something to get the deer, you know, without spooking them, you know, that's whatever. So, um, that, and hopefully I answered your question there. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's terrific advice. And, you know, it's that realization right there you know that that i've come to over the last maybe five years or so has been the the greatest um influencer in my improved hunting success the past half decade has been that whole idea by looking at pressure and realizing that it's much better to hunt fewer times but smarter versus many times but doing it the wrong way putting you know unnecessary pressure on deer um by by changing that around it's completely changed you know the success I've been able to have. So that's great advice. Yeah. And, and I certainly yeah, usually, have, uh, yeah. Yeah. Usually the best hunt the first time in the stand is usually that's, that's, that's the best. Yeah. After that, it goes downhill ever. <laughs> yeah, sure does. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so, but, uh, so one more question then for you, and this is, mm-hmm. this is off on another tangent sort of, but, um, you've participated in the quality deer management associations age, this segment in their magazine. Um, where they show a picture of a deer and then you and several other experts would give your estimation of the age of that deer based on photos, aging the deer on the hoof. And that's something that is a desired, um, a desired skill. A lot of people want to be able to do that. A lot of people try to do that, but it's oftentimes a lot more difficult than we really give it credit for. Accurately aging deer on the hoof isn't always easy to do. And it's something mm-hmm. we actually have not talked about at all on the podcast before. So yeah. given the fact that you have a lot of experience doing this and you know, mm-hmm. you, you've publicly done it and you're comfortable publicly putting it out there in a magazine, I'm hoping, can you walk us through, you know, your, as quickly as you can do this, I guess I know it's, it's a difficult thing yeah, to no, no, summarize, but can you walk us through uh-huh. how you age deer? You know, those, those couple key age classes or groups that you yeah. really focus. Can you give us an overview of your process and the key things you look for? Yeah. And it's funny, no matter how long have you been, you know, you've been doing this, we, st- you know, like in a magazine, 
every time that the editor, you know, Lindsay Thomas would send the, the, the pictures to us, he didn't instantly just look at the deer and come up with three and a half. You know, I know I went through each step that I was trying to teach people. You know, I didn't bypass any of those steps. So those, those steps, whatever those are, are very crucial. Now, here's how you answer that question. Is that, okay, from sitting in the blind at ground level versus 20, whatever, how high you sit up in a tree stand is going to be, you know, obviously dictate what you think or how to, you know, that deer is going to age. Obviously, it's going to be harder, okay? But if you're just looking at deer camera photos and stuff, um, you know, I like to keep it simple, the system, okay? If, like, let's start the fawns. You know, a doe fawn's head will be round, okay? A button buck will be flat, okay? So start studying that. Start noticing that, okay? When you see those nubs that are really profound and you know it's a button buck, concentrate on that characteristic. Get it in your head, okay, what that looks like. So that way, when you with your with your buddy who's never hunted deer and you don't want him to shoot a button buck, you know you can with your sitting in him, you know you can help him, you know like, you know where I'm going with this. You can kind of coach them, you mm-hmm. know, trying to decide what it is. Um, but you know, a curved head versus a flat head, the top of the head. A button buck will be has a flat head. Now you go up to the year and a half year old bucks, the next age class up. Okay, my thing is was is real simple. I t- took the antlers off the deer's head, and nine times out of ten, you will have an adult go. When you get off this and you, you do this, anybody, as soon as that you're done listening to this, you know, find a deer camera photo, see a year and a half, cover the your, the antlers off, you know, with your hands, and you will see an adult go. Very simple. In my opinion, there's no excuse unless you purposely want to shoot that year and a half. There's no reason why you shoot a year-and-a-half-year-old buck unless you want to, and that's fine. But there's no way to miss that. It's simply by looking at a deer cam photo, and even in the wild, in a real-life situation, quickly take a, just erase the, the antlers off that deer. You have, you have an adult deal. It's just, you'll it'll blow your mind when you, when you realize what you're looking at. And then you get to your twos and three-year-olds. Now, a two-year-old... Um, Let's go back to a year and a half. Now, a year and a half year old body characteristics, his rump area is bigger than his chest chest area, okay? Because he hasn't grown into it yet. I'm just laming this up. Now, when you go to a two year old, his chest is caught up to his rump area, and it's the the, the back will be somewhat flat, flat, excuse me. The belly will be somewhat flat, and it's just a streamlined deer. Now, the rack size, uh, which I don't necessarily like concentrating on. It will be thicker mass. It will be a basic frame, nothing crazy. So it's studying a known two-and-a-half-year-old deer and seeing what that looks like in your area. Now, Indiana is going to look different than Ohio. Ohio is going to look different than, you know, Florida, you know. So it all depends on your area. Um, so get a known age and concentrate on that those characteristics, a streamlined white-tailed deer. His chest is the same size as his rump area. His rack size is a little bit thicker than a year-and-a-half-year-old deer, all right? So then you go up to a three-year-old. Now, three-year-olds have more mass, starting to get a little bit more characteristic to it, the track. But the big thing is his chest 
is starting to get bit, bigger than his rump. Okay, so that is a big. Not all three and a half have a swayed bell or swayed back. Some do, some don't. But that's a characteristic that you can go through. The belly is starting to drop a little bit. Okay, his legs might start to look like they're having they're getting a little bit shorter, and that all that means is that the body is growing. Okay, so it makes it appears that it has shorter legs. Okay, so head size. Look at the head size. That was a big characteristic of me. In my weird way, I would look at the deer's head. A, a three-and-a-half-year-old deer's uh, buck's head is bigger than a two-year-old. A two-year-old is bigger than a year-and-a-half. Okay, he's still growing into his skeletal, you know, his bones, if you will. So, and then when you get to a four-and-a-half, it's a no-brainer. You know, the chest is really huge. It's really muscular, bigger neck, big, you know, somewhat belly drop, a sway in its back. Uh, it really does have that short leg uh, appearance, if you will. So the big thing is, is, you know, that is such a quick and dirty version of it. And it's so hard without spending an hour trying to teach somebody that. But the big thing is, is that, you know what? You have to decide what you want to shoot. That is how big that deer is going to be. I mean, when you're in your tree stand, you have to make, when I, I do a slide presentation, I do seminars on how to age deer by camera. And I always get to the three and four year olds, and I always have people going, hey, "Is that a three? Is that a four? Really depends on what program you are on. Who cares? Would you harvest that animal? That's how old it's going to be. Okay, if you're get if you if you just want to shoot three and four year old deer, okay, and you have fifty acres, so if you only have fifty acres, you need to get the the King Ranch mentality, the eight hundred thousand acre mentality out of your brain. Yeah. So be happy with a three or four year old. Okay. So just get comfortable with year and a half and twos. Just get comfortable with that. Know a three and four. I'm not saying don't know them, but just know that hey, it's not a two year old. I'm going to harvest it. Yeah. Okay. So concentrate on the age class that you don't want to shoot. You kind of follow me on that? It's yeah. just concentrate on those, and then you can work your way up. Learn what not to shoot first, and then go from there. That seems a lot easier than so trying to get too yeah, tight learn the them details. All. Yeah, don't try to learn them all at first. At first. I'm not saying don't. It's just saying, in the beginning, learn what not to shoot. If you just want to shoot a three-year-olds and fours, just learn what a year-and-a-half and two-year-old looks like. That way, the mistakes are not made. Yeah. So, And then, when you get comfortable with that, it's like, hey, I just want to shoot a four-year-old. Then learn what a three-year-old is. Yeah. You know? So... Yeah, and doing it, reading, doing it age this, you know, uh, the best thing that they did in age this is have those deer before we aged them. So you can kind of guess, you know, and if you, you know, I, we, I teach people all the time how to do this. It's not hard. It just takes patience and time. It does take time. And, you know, going up to people and saying, hey, what are you, or sitting around looking at a magazine, what, how old do you think this deer is? How old do you think this deer is? You know, talk. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. That's how we learn, by making yeah. mistakes. Yeah, that practice so. is so important. And if, if anyone listening, if you're not a member of the Quality Deer Management Association, it's worth joining just to get their magazine, Quality Whitetails, which is a great magazine, but it also has the segment, which we've been talking about, Age This, where, you know, as Eric mentioned, there's a page, the first page shows like three photos of three different deer and the details of where that deer is and details about the property. And then you can look at those pictures, 
try to guess what you think the age is. And then on the next page, it gives, you know, each one of the experts opinions and the reasoning behind it and what factors they looked into. And it's just, it's a tremendous resource. And it's been probably the most helpful thing for me in learning to age deer. Um, Yeah. Yeah, And that's the thing with that is that you'll notice, you know, the judges, if you will, the experts, quote unquote, um, you know, we're never off too far. When we disagree, we're only off by an age one year. Okay. Now, if you're on a, you know, two, three, 4,000 acre piece of property that you're managing and stuff, yeah, that's, that's crucial. You, you have, you, if you're the consultant or manager, you're, you, you got to get it right for the best you, you know, of your ability. But you're managing, you know, 50, 100 acres and stuff. Let's be realistic here. Okay. If you're off by a year and, you know, as long as it's not a two year old, all right, unless that's what you want to shoot. Yeah. You know? Hey, I shot a four-year-old at age four instead of three. Well, great for me. I shot a four-year-old. Right. <laughs> you know? Hey, yeah. Or he is a three. Yeah, but you know what? I was a pretty darn good three. Should I have shot him that? Yeah. Well, hey, it's dead. It's laying in front of me. You know, he's not going to grow anymore. So <laughs> just be happy with what you shot. You yeah. know, don't downsize it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, so that's that's it. So that's just great. practice. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thanks for sharing that. And and one other mm-hmm. resource actually that the QDMA has is they actually produced a DVD um, that's maybe 30, 40 minutes long where they go through this whole thing as well, providing some instruction on how to age deer and they show videos of deer. And um, that's another really helpful resource that you can get at QDMA.com too. So mm-hmm. um, two great resources there in uh, in addition to what, what you, Eric, just shared with us. So so that said, we are we – are, I'm coming up on time here, so I want to I wanna let you go before we talk your ear off too much. But, Eric, if no. someone wants to learn more about what you do with drumming log wildlife management or with what you do with the management advantage, where can they go online to get more information? Well, they can just go on uh, just drumalog.com, you know, and check out our webpage. Uh, we're on Facebook quite a bit, the Drumalog uh, Wildlife Management Facebook page. It's uh, an easy way to get a hold of me. Uh, and don't be, don't be afraid to give me a call. My phone number is on uh, the website. Um, you know, I, as you can tell, I don't stop talking about it. I love to talk about <laughs> it and I will do everything I possibly can to help you out to be successful, you know, whether you're a client or not, you know, I just, it's my job to educate people and I don't take that lightly, you know, um, like I said, whether you hire me or not, but, um, and also, you know, the management advantage, you can go on management advantage website page and there will have the, weekly to monthly web, uh, web episodes. And, um, we have a lot of good, uh, good content that's coming, um, here soon and stuff. Um, we're always trying to reinvent the wheel there at management advantage and, you know, we do the best we can there. So it's, uh, please check us out on that. And also, you know, hopefully here I pass the real estate test. Uh, you can contact if you want some land in the wild. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, at Mark, you know, but, um, but yeah, so just, uh, Give us a call, contact us, Facebook us, you know, email us. Our email address is uh, also on the, the website, and we'll, uh, we, we, check, we try to check our uh, emails uh, daily, but, you know, consulting and travel all over the place, you know, we will get to you, okay? Uh, if you don't hear from us, just give us a call. Keep trying. We're not ignoring you ever. We just it, it got deleted or something silly. So, so awesome. But that's it. All right. Well, I will make sure to include those links on the blog post for this podcast. So if anyone wants to wants to go check out those diff- different resources, they can do that easily. And uh, 
this has been great, Eric. I appreciate it. Um, I definitely took some things away from this. I'm sure our listeners did too. So, so thank you yeah. so much for joining us. No, thank you, Mark. And, and congratulations on your success with uh, oh, Larry the Hunt. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I think what you got the QDMA award for what you do. And then your recent, uh, GQ cover on the <laughs> you know, yeah. that's good. That's great, man. We're happy for you. And anything that we can do to, you know, and help you out at any time, don't ever hesitate to call us. So. Hey, I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, I'm sure I'll be in touch. Um, when I win the lottery, you are the guy that's going to help me find that property down in Ohio. So I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> Yeah, well, my charge is going to be whatever you want in the lottery. So that's, okay. That's all. <laughs> so I better, better keep it quiet how much I win then. <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, did I say no? I meant that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. No. Yeah, funny, all right. Funny. Well, thank you so much, Eric, and uh, we will be in touch down the road. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Well, with that, we are going to wrap things up. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while, I've got a question for you. Have you left a review yet on iTunes? We've got 238 awesome reviews you guys have left, and we really appreciate that. But maybe there's a few of you still out there that haven't given us your feedback and what you think about the show. So if you haven't, could you possibly take 30 seconds to do that? It is a huge help to us, and it helps keep the show on the air. Um, you know, when companies are thinking about supporting the podcast and, you know, making this possible, they probably look at that, those reviews to see if this show is worth a hoot. So we appreciate you. If you share your honest opinions or, uh, you know, any feedback you might have, if you think that I sound like an idiot, or if you think that Dan doesn't make sense, uh, you know, whatever you really think, please tell us there. It's super helpful. And speaking of thank yous, a quick thank you to those partners who help make sure that the wired hunt podcast is able to go on the air. So big thank you to Sick of Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, and most importantly, thank you guys for joining us today. Hopefully you got a few ideas today that you can put into action this summer. So get to work, as hunting season is going to be here before you know it. And of course, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.